Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to uh, episode 129. It is uh, Mark and Dave from Tone Talk, and we've got Nick Bocott from Sweetwater, Grim Reaper, and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff that we'll get into tonight. So, uh, Nick, how are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. It's a, a privilege and an honor to be speaking to you fine fellas. Oh, Especially as uh, Dave is feasting on a White Castle as we speak. <laughs> I know. I wish I had a White Castle. <laughs> well, <laughs> my stomach, my stomach probably doesn't, but that's yeah, okay. yeah. If you have stomach problems, it's probably not a good uh, thing. Oh to man, have. yeah, white castle. And I'm remote, I'm remote tonight, so forgive if there's audio or some weirdness uh, with my internet connection. I'm remote from Las Vegas, Sin City, Vegas, from the Resorts World Casino. What nice. is it called? Resorts World. Oh, never heard or of Resort World. That's the new one. Okay. Was that the one that used to be the Hooters that you were telling me about? No, 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 no. This is way at the other end of the strip. It's a brand new, crazy, uh, beautiful casino, hotel. Oh, okay. Pretty posh and nice. Which which end? Like the end by the by the wind? That's your end. It's across from the uh, it's across from the old Sahara. Oh wow. Okay. It's familiar. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, Nick. It's and I the latest, I think it was the last one built. It was built in. Uh, 2021. Oh, really? It that opened. recent? Well, that it opened recent. in 2021, yeah. Pretty sure. So. Cool. It's been a while since I've been. So, but uh, yeah, it's kind of far for you too, Nick. I was going to say it's far for me to go. So. Yeah, it is. It's not exactly. When I lived in Phoenix, it was it was a drive, you know, a good drive, a fun drive. Traffic in Vegas, well, didn't used to be bad like 10 years ago. I'm not sure what it's like now. But um, yeah, it was a fun. It was a fun, fun trip. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can imagine driving there would be cool. Um, how long have you been living in Fort Wayne? Because you live by Sweetwater, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the 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 joke here is everything's fifteen minutes away from everything else. So I'm literally fifteen minutes from Sweetwater. I've been here about six and a half years already. Like time flies. It's scary. And where were you living before? Were you in the states or in Amer- in America or? Yeah, I was in Phoenix. Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Phoenix, you, just, Arizona. you just said that, so sorry. <laughs> that is a big climate change. Yeah, it's a huge climate change. Well, <laughs> you know what? I, I, I lived in Phoenix for about seven years. You know, my, my family's still out there because of, of education and COVID and all that wonderful stuff, malarkey. But uh, I loved Phoenix initially, but it's kind of the Truman Show. Like, the summer's really hot, then the winter's beautiful, but the winter becomes, you get so used to 75 degrees, no humidity in a blue sky, you actually stop appreciating it. I really, I didn't realize how much I missed the seasons. So mm. yeah. I kind of like it here. Although in a couple of weeks, I'll probably think, why did I come here? Because it will start snowing. But it's all good. Yeah. 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 Well, I live in South Florida, so I kind of know what you're talking about. Right. Uh, there's right. hardly any seasons at all. So we have, we have, we have two seasons in California. It's uh, hot and really hot, or <laughs> no? Well, no, no, no. Hot or there's only two seasons. It's hot okay. or it's relatively cool, meaning seventy degrees. Right. <laughs> yeah, Phoenix is kind of the same. It's it's pizza oven hot during the summer, and then relatively cool actually like the winter months like the four or five months of winter is gorgeous i can see why a lot of people are the snowbirds go there 
Yeah. Yeah, I can. And then agree. it, you know, it might rain. Oh, I don't know. These days, like ten days a year. <laughs> right. Isn't that crazy? That's why there's, uh, you know, water shortages in that. I can imagine. Yeah. Oh, so I hope everybody had a, a good week and a yep. good Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody, or late Thanksgiving. I just had uh, seconds, or day, I guess, uh, what do they Earth. call that? Leftovers. Yeah, leftovers. Yeah. <laughs> next week yeah well we're, we we didn't have much but people clean us out we had a lot of family over so uh most of the food's gone which is good man i was so happy not to do any of that stuff oh yeah yeah, yeah. i was i was talking to michael nielsen about that because he was like yeah it'll be great to be at home i'm like yeah but then when you have people over then you have to clean up after everything and mm-hmm. prepare and all that crap so absolutely <laughs> it's good just to go to it was school. really nice not to have to do any of that it was cool. yeah that's cool yeah i spent mine yesterday doing some recording in the studio and the guy who runs the studio is a really good cook he's kind of like a a wannabe dave grohl he's he's got the smoker and you know his his barbecue oh. setup's worth more than most people's vehicles so i i had fun recording and i ate well and i didn't have to do a damn thing apart from tune some guitars and play as best i can so that was a fun one. No prep for me, just driving about forty minutes. So that was a win. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Was it? It was smoked turkey. It was actually like like he actually did prime rib. Mm. Oh, that's even better. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was gorgeous. <laughs> it was. It had been marinated for like seven days. So it was, oh wow. Yeah, you kind of looked at it; it would melt. It was great. <laughs> Perfect. That's great. Uh, Fantastic. I can go for that right now. So. Uh, yeah, I'm really glad to have you on, Nick. Uh, you know, it's we we have such a great partnership with uh, Sweetwater, and uh, they've been such a great, uh, you know, just great. I guess what just support of the show. You know, they've been really supporting our show, and which is great, and we we love it. So, um, you know, uh, how did you start working for them? Um, kind of make a long story not too long. Um, <laughs> I came here for many, 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 many years as the Marshall guy. Like I would come here and train. In fact, the first time I trained, they were still in their in their old facility, which is now a church, believe it or not. And um, I got on really well with Chuck and his his hierarchy. Really nice, driven, passionate people. And the thing that intrigued me about Sweetwater was not only the growth, but the um, like the level of knowledge they had here, like without being disrespectful to other other people selling stuff in, in the States. In a lot of cases, when I trained for Marshall, I had to kind of dumb it down, which is no one's fault. But at Sweetwater, I had to raise my game because these people know what the hell they're talking about. What mm. a so they, they ask intelligent questions. Right. And they continue to. So I really enjoyed it. And I was just fascinated by the culture. Because they, everyone seemed upbeat. They actually seemed glad to be at, working at Sweetwater. They all had a passion for what they do, as you guys do. What a concept. <laughs> and, you know, life is short, man. So, you know, I, I can't say I've made a lot of money in my career, be it, you know, on this side of the fence, the other side of the fence, or as a journalist. In fact, I would say my, you know, the, the people at the bank recognize me because they just point and laugh, which I guess is not a good sign. <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, like ignoring that, I it's like to me, life is really short. And if you've if you're going to spend most of your life working, if you don't like what you do, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much money you earn. And that's that. Maybe that's me rationalizing rationalizing my lack of funds. But I've in, I've I've had a really good. I've enjoyed my life as you know as a professional, whatever the hell I am. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what is officially your role there? Officially, I'm, I'm, I'm what they call. I don't like the term too much. Content creator. Aha. Yeah. So, I just think I, I like make, I, I make videos and write articles that hopefully interest people with similar interests to me. So, and sort of like my journalism and my music career, cough cough. It's, it's always a very selfish endeavor because I do what. I think is good and I hope other people like it, but if I don't like it, I won't do it. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Because once again, you know, like you're only as good as your last video or you're only as good as your last amplifier or your, or your last show, which in this case might be a bad sign for you guys. Cause you've got, to <laughs> yeah. but it, but it, like, it's over. Uh, it's all over now. Yeah, it's, it's done. <laughs> Sorry guys. That's like 129, the last one. It was a good run though, 129. Pretty impressive. <laughs> That's fun. That's good. But yeah, uh, so yeah, so I, I just kind of, you know, I I feel very fortunate to be to have made, to have, to have, I, I think that was probably your, your next White Castle delivery. No. <laughs> no. I, I feel very fortunate to have to have managed to pay my like to pay my bills via playing guitar as as best I can and interviewing people I enjoy interviewing because of what they make be it music or be it actual music or the or the creating the tools that make people allow people to make music like like Dave does here you know great you make fantastic musical tools my friend not being obsequious just facts that's great yeah. Like I, I always enjoy reviewing a, like a Friedman amp because you know, you know it's going to be good. No pressure, Dave, on your next project. I couldn't live with myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm kind of the same. It's like people go, "Why are you pushing yourself?" It's like because I, I good enough doesn't exist in my vocabulary. When, right. when it comes to something I do, I can't, I want to give it my best shot at that time. You know, I, you can obviously spend forever trying to perfect something and end up doing nothing because it'll be better the next day. So that, there has to be a cutoff point, but I always like to at least go, yeah, that was the best I could have done then. Could I right. do it better next week or next year? Hopefully, but that's, that's just progress, I guess. Right. right. Mm -hmm. That's cool. <laughs> now, when before you were working for uh, for Sweetwater, what were you doing? I uh, I was I worked for Marshall for many 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 moons, as I think Dave knows. I worked for mm -hmm. Marshall for, for some twenty years, and um, I had a very good relationship with the late great Mister Jim Marshall. Mm. He was uh, for some reason, maybe a lack of judgment on on his part, he really liked me, so kind of took me under his wing. And I had the honor of eating countless dinners with him, you know, in England and in America. And people would say, 
aren't you tired of the same stories? Because it wasn't Jim telling the same stories, but I'm sure Dave has the same thing. Whereas once you become established as being successful, like the same questions invariably always crop up. And with Jim, it was, they always wanted to know about the Pete Townsend connection, the Jimi Hendrix connection, yada, yada, yada. And it's like, how can I get bored of hearing that story? That's like saying I'm bored of watching Eddie Van Halen play Eruption. Right. Yeah, it's like rock royalty. Uh, yeah, you know. it's, yeah, it's like part of the it's part of the musical foundation, which is why we do what we do. And Jim was part of that. Mm -hmm. Well, I did that for many moons. Um, I had a short but wonderful tenure at Fender. Um, I had the the honor of working oh, yeah. with. I had the honor of working with the late great um, Edward Van Halen on the on the Wolfgang launch. And oh, did you? Oh. Yeah, what a remarkable human being he was. Like those ears just ridiculous like he he could hear things i think no other human could hear and the way he played was just ridiculous and a thoroughly nice human being too i was actually told by some people in the industry you know what ed's hard to work with it's like and i i have to with the greatest respect to those folk who told me that you're totally wrong he, he had high expectations as did jim marshall because it's his goddamn name on the product it's the same as dave's company it says mm -hmm. friedman Mm -hmm. Right. It's his, it's his name. It's his legacy. So, was he demanding? No, he just wanted you to do as well as you could because he was. It was his name. Yes, and he, and he also he also always. You never told him what he needed. You let him tell you what he wanted. Yes, and that was a very important lesson to be learned. I agree. And some people didn't get that. They felt that, oh, I'll, I think I know what Ed wants. It's like, um, he's Edward Van Halen. What part of that don't you get? Yeah, you know? yeah he'll, right. he'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. He, like he changed the game. And, you know, people are still, you know, the quote-unquote brand sound is still highly revered and always will be, and in my humble opinion, quite rightfully so. Mm -hmm. So what exactly did you do when you were working for Fender with the Wolfgang? Um. I just, it was just liaise, like making sure the launch was sort of all it should be, basically. So working with Ed on the marketing, he was very particular on, on how things are worded, what images are used, yada, yada. Because I basically went in as artist relations slash marketing slash product development. Hmm. I didn't produce, I didn't do anything on, on the production, um, on product development side with Edward or the highway and rightfully so once like you know it's going back to like dave and his brand or jim and his brand you know, right if it's the person's name on it they they call the shots right, right. i was involved with, yeah i was involved with jackson charvel evh a lot okay. of art stuff and it was a wonderful time it was a wonderful time but then a marshall asked me to go back like they changed american distributors and I'd always promised myself, assuming that I would outlive Jim, that I'd like to be his guy in the States if and when he passed. And I took that opportunity, and I'm glad I did, because I got to spend some quality time with the man before he moved, before he shifted off this mortal coil. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So what were you doing when you were working for Marshall? Um, artist relations, uh, a lot of marketing stuff, a lot of training stuff. I was involved with the voicing. As a guitar player, I'd go over there. I was part of a, an international group of people that would go over and like you basically 
I would basically tell them what I felt my market research dictated the American marketplace wanted hmm. and what's good, what's bad, what would work over here, what wouldn't. And most of did my, I'm sorry. Did they listen? Yeah, absolutely. They did. Yeah. More yeah. full them. No, but uh, no, I mean, like a lot of my stuff is based on, you know, Jim, Jim had this really good philosophy with regards. He was, there were a couple of things he told me that, that, that really stuck with me. And one was never the day you assume, you know, everything you were of no use to me because it means you're arrogant and you think you're holier than now. And the other thing he said is you need to listen to everybody and anybody he said some of my most valuable lessons on production and in terms of tone have come from a 16-year-old apprentice who looks at the same thing I've been looking at for years and sees it differently. Mm. So he was, you know, you've got to keep your ears open, your eyes open, and you've got to listen to what your you've got to listen to what your your end consumer wants because you're only as good as, you know, if 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 you make something you think is good and no, no one else thinks it's good, it doesn't matter how good it is if you're the only like if you're the only customer for it, well done. You've made yourself your perfect amp, but no one else, if no one else wants it, you're going no to speak. Yeah. yeah. So those were two valuable lessons. And yeah, the, the art of listening and assuming, always assuming you know nothing because I'll, I'll tell you, the more I'm in this, in this industry, the more I realize I don't know very much at all, which is great because it means there's more to learn. More to learn. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. I still haven't tackled MIDI yet. So, I mean, look, I'm just, I might wait till I'm 60, maybe 70. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At this point, MIDI is kind of an antiquated thing, too. So. I know. I was yeah, just, no, they're gonna, eventually, they're going to update this and make yeah, it. MIDI 2.0, they, they yeah. say, right? Yeah. Yeah. M1D1, they used to call it. What's this M1D1 crap? <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. That's funny. Um, so I gather you you worked with uh, Santiago Al Alvarez. Yes, know? I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was, he's, he's been on our show. Yeah, nice talented, guy. talented guy, man. Yeah. Talented guy. He he's made worked stuff. for Marshall on and off and on and off and on and off. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame. I you know I really wish he was he was there because uh, you know his like the JVM was his. The like the Satriani was his. The um, the Kerry King was, he was at the helm of that, all the slash stuff. Mm -hmm. like, a talented guy. Yeah. yeah. Some of their, some of their better high gain amps. Yes. Or, yeah. You know, like, like the JVM still stands the test of time and it's been, it's been a long time now. Does that, amp, do you, I mean, I don't know if you know how stuff sells at Sweetwater, but does that amp still sell pretty well at JVM? Yeah. Like as, like as well as I'm, you know what, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I couldn't give you facts or figures with regards where it sits in the hierarchy of the high gain stuff. Mm -hmm. And maybe I should, but yeah, like it's still, yeah, cool. like it's still part of, it's still part of the fabric. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I imagine. Yeah. Um, so let's go way back. So you played in the band Grim, Grim Reaper. Um, yeah, I, was, I was actually guilty of of forming the band, actually. Yeah, you, you formed it. <laughs> yeah. Guilty as charged, formed formed the band, wrote the riffs, and you know, had, and have an, a level of celebrity thanks to uh, Beavis and Butthead thinking we sucked, which which was a which still is a badge of honor to me, to be honest with you. But 
<laughs> now I knew about Winger, but I I didn't know that they uh, they had a thing with Grim Reaper. I, I, well, I, I can I can give you the 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 story behind that's kind of interesting. Is that is um, my old management um, Concrete went on to manage Pantera and White Zombie amongst other people, and. I think back in the day, White Zombie were the first band or one of the first bands that Beavis and Butthead actually liked. And I was having a conversation. I just helped Jay Younger from the band with some Marshall stuff. And I was talking to Walter and the, the, the first album had just gone gold. I said, hey, do me a favor. You know, when you see Rob and Jay, tell them congratulations and tell them I know it's got nothing to do with the fact that two cartoon characters liked them. Even though that was good for them, it went gold because it's a great record. And Walter, the manager, said, well, you know what? Because I've become friends with Mike Judge. Would you like me to send him See You in Hell? I went, yeah, I'd love to because they'll hate it. They'll trash it. <laughs> I, I had a bullet belt um, armband, for goodness sake. You know, it was, very, <laughs> it was very bad. So literally three days after that, so Walter said, yeah, I'll definitely do that. And uh, about three days later, a friend of mine from New York, and I was working for the Korg a company called Korg, who was a Marshall distributor, who were on Long Island, which is about 25 miles, you know, on the Long Island away from, like, uh, Manhattan. And a friend of mine from Manhattan called me up and said, hey, I saw you last night. I went, I, I wasn't in Manhattan, and I wasn't out. Where did you see me? He goes, oh, you're on Beavis and Butthead. And I was like, that's really quick. So I watched for a week, and sure enough, See You in Hell was on Beavis and Butthead, and sure enough, it got trashed. I think we won, we won the pink ribbon at the pig contest at the local fair or something like that. That was the crack at the time. <laughs> so I called up Walter and went, hey, man, that was really quick. He says, what are you talking about? I said, well, See You in Hell's on Beavis and Butthead. He goes, I, haven't, I don't see Mike until next week when he comes in to the Rob Zombie show, you know, to the White Zombie show. Are you coming? I said, yeah, of course I am. He goes, well, Let's hook up. So I was at the White Zombie Show, and Walter walks up to me and says, hey, do you want to have some fun? I said, sure. He goes, Mike's here. Mike Judge is here. He goes, just F with him. F with him big time. So <laughs> Mike's like Mike's a fairly short guy, looks a little bit like an accountant, and he sees Walter come, you know, Walter is, hey, Mike, and he comes bounding over. He goes, Walter says, so how's it going, Mike? He goes, it's amazing. He goes, I've never been, never been backstage at a show before, and everyone has been really nice, and Rob and the guys are being so gracious. And Walter said, well, I've got some bad news for you. That's probably about to change because this gentleman here, not an informed Grim Reaper, he wrote See You in Hell. And I looked at, the, I looked at him and just went, and I used all the words you can't use. All the politically incorrect words. You, you can curse on here, what if you like, but <laughs> yeah, you know the, the f word, the c word, yeah. and I, I was giving him hell, going, "You effing piece of blah 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 blah, you blah 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 blah." And after about ten seconds, I started laughing because in my peripheral vision, I could see Walter losing it. So I started <laughs> laughing, and Judge went, "You, you, you're kidding?" I said, "Dude," so I love the show, and if you'd have liked Grim Reaper, I'd have lost all respect for you and your cartoon characters because. Dude, it was 1984. I had the, the, the bullet belt wristband, a white leather jacket with studs all over it. I said, you know, in 10 years' time, people will probably think 30-year-old guys wearing Doc Martens flannel shirts and shorts will be funny too. I accept it. I, I love the song. I've got great words from people about the fact they see it again. But no, I don't, I don't hold any grudge at all. In fact, if you thought that video was stupid, the next one had an amphibious landing craft in it. 
But he was like, <laughs> long story short, I said, you know what, well, I'll send you the whole lot. And so he's, he actually went on to talk about our conversation on David Letterman, and, and he, he got me in Playboy for the second time. Because really? The, yeah, the first, yeah, he talked about it in the Playboy interview. They said, you know, what's the, what's the reaction from artists? And he said, well, most of them hate me, but there was this guy called Nick in the band called Grim Reaper who actually said he'd have lost all respect if we'd have liked the video. And the funny thing is, so I said to Mike, I said, so I said, what's the worst reaction? What's the worst kickback you've ever got? And he said, oh, it was Kip Ringer. Because what happened is, I, you probably remember back in the day, Kip was a VJ, a very successful VJ for um, MTV. And he was in LA. I, I don't know, he was in, I, he was on one side of the coast and he saw Beavis and Butthead crush 17. <laughs> and it was it was one of their brutal, brilliant one-liners, like, these guys are on the edge. Yeah, the edge of Wussville. <laughs> and, and Kip lost it and apparently called the CEO of MTV and woke him up going, this is bullshit. I'm a VJ. You get, like, cancel this stuff. He's Maybe Kip started cancel culture. I don't know. He's going, you can't do this. This is, you know, this is BS, blah, 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 blah. And I said to Mike, I said, so what was the reaction? He said, well, if you look at the timeline, Stuart, you know, the character that was disliked by Beavis and Butthead, the, like the wimpy kid, he goes, if you look back around that time he had a black shirt, after that phone call, his shirt had ringer on it from, from now to eternity. So the moral of the story is don't mess with cartoon characters because they'll make what they've made bad even worse for you by putting, <laughs> by putting your logo on a shirt. And I, the reason I said the second time we're in Playboy because the See You in Hell actually got reviewed by Playboy. And it was the shortest review I've ever seen. It was almost like um, Shark Sandwich. <laughs> Is it like Shit Sandwich? <laughs> yeah, Shit Sandwich. They didn't say that, they, but they, they used two words. It just said, not recommended. That was the review. <laughs> <laughs> Which is freaking great. I love that stuff. So, you know, all, yeah, all, you have a, a good about it. All, all press is good press. Like, we got, when we emerged, we were like a writer for Cream voted us one of the top 10, 10 worst bands of the last decade. And we did it in three months, you know, as far as America were concerned. So, we were so happy about it. We sent her 13 black roses as a thank you. <laughs> Which you should. Now, our best review was this guy said this guy wrote it. I kept it, and I, I admire the old critics more than I do trolls because at least you know you knew who they were. They weren't using a pseudonym. True. You know, they, it was uh, Mr. X. You know, I can't remember the guy's name, but it was one of the funniest. I've quoted it in biographies. He said, "Listening to this record is about as pleasurable as giving yourself a frontal lobotomy with a blunt butter knife." <laughs> Yeah. And then finished, and then finished the review and said, "By the time this record was done, my dog had died of rectal cancer." And uh, so it was like, once again, thank you. All press is good. <laughs> I, I remember it for that reason. It's so stupid. It's funny. That's just yeah, memorable. Yeah, troll, wow. trolling, but without an alias. Right. Wow. So all good. We've got some questions for you. Uh, what is life like outside of Sweetwater and Fort Wayne? Worth moving to? Um, the people here are really nice. There's a lot of, there's like there are a lot of. Well, unfortunately, COVID's put a 
obviously COVID gave put us all in a bubble for the best part of two years. Mm-hmm. So a lot of bands come through here. I've played I've played more since moving here than I did in Phoenix, to be honest with you. I've had the good I've had the good fortune of I've played with Fozzie twice as a guest, um, Warrant three times as a guest. And the highlight for me, probably with the greatest respect to Fozzie and Warrant, was I got to play with Lita Ford, which was, yeah, that was a bucket list tick that wasn't even on my bucket list. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, she's so, a, in my in my eyes, she's a, she's a guitar legend. I mean, yeah, she plays, she's, yeah, she like she walks a talk. I really like Lita. I mean, you know, she doesn't have a lot of like you know hits music, but when you think about it, she was the guitar player in the Runaways. So that that to me is just like nail. You know, she should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame just for that. You know. Yeah, and she also, you know, she had a, a top ten single with Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, that does, that doesn't suck. No, and she's also easy on the eyes, so there's nothing wrong yeah. about that. Yeah, and she's a thoroughly nice human being as well. So. Yeah, and she can rip on the guitar too. Oh, no, she she's scary. She, and she can sing. She's ta- yeah, she's talented. She can sing her ass off still, you know. She's she's no spring chicken, but she she looks like a spring chicken. Yeah, still. Uh, Dan Pfeiffer says, uh, I remember Nick from his days at Marshall and Guitar Mag articles. Cool. Right. Um, we've got some. And by the way, I went to, like I was telling you earlier, I went to the Sweetwater Gear Fest at Fort Wayne. Um, Dave, you and I went out to a great steak place there. So, Oh, was, the, was it the Cork and Cleaver? No. Well, mm. maybe. Wait was, a minute. I, a, I, I, I've been there so many times. So for me there, there's Club Soda, there's uh, Don Hall's Gas House, there's the Cork right. and Cooper, and Baker's. Baker's, that's where it was. Oh, okay. It was Baker's, yeah. yeah. There's some good restaurants. You know, there's a Ruth Chris yeah. here as well now, if you're, if you're an into the good. There was meat. a good barbecue joint there, too, I liked. Yeah. Lucille's yeah. or something? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Lucille's that's Barbecue. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, like the food here is good. I really like the people here. Like the music scene, obviously, is pretty healthy because of Sweetwater, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Like Sweetwater's got a lot of musicians here. And there's the Clyde Theater, which is really good. There's the, there's the legendary Pierre's. And the nice thing about Fort Wayne, too, is it's not that far from Indy. And it's maybe three or three and a half, four hours to, uh, to Detroit and the same to Chicago. So we're kind of yeah. slap bang in the middle of stuff. So. It's I've I've seen a lot of shows, not not all in Fort Wayne, but there's also a Fort Wayne Coliseum, where the likes of you know Megadeth have just been through, Five Finger Death Punch, yada yada. So yeah, there's a yeah, but like you know, three hours from Detroit, where where almost everything comes through. Exactly. Yeah, and the nice thing is now we've got a venue like the Clyde, which is spot, which is, uh, you know, was was is very much helped funded by Sweetwater. It's become a venue that that's that, cert, that acts for a certain level. It's sort of far enough from Detroit and mm-hmm. Chicago that they can like make it as the as a, as you, a stop. Yeah, you do shows at that pavilion, don't you? At, at your- yeah, 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 yeah. We have a pavilion outside now, which is where Gearfest was being held. I think the, when when you guys would have come out. Yeah, we've had. I think the biggest name we've had here would probably some guy with a top hat called Slash. Right. Who did who did quite well? Um, yeah, like so we've like like this year we had like Blackberry Smoke came through, um, and I th- wasn't it wasn't Ario Sticks came through. They're so, still great. Sticks yeah. is still great. Sticks, Ario, Peter Fram, you know, all, all there's a whole there's a whole like 
sort of what would you call it um like three to five thousand seat arena well i i guess you I, i'm having spacing out what the venue is called but people like sticks and reo they can just tour like they're touring harder than most big acts and right sell, and selling a lot of tickets you know yeah definitely definitely I saw at that at that pavilion. I saw we saw. Um, I, I missed the, Steve Vai, right? But uh, that was the night before. But I saw Eric Johnson there, which was great. He was fantastic. Yeah, um, the, the the last one we had, um, Mr. Malmsteen played. Oh, I just oh, yeah. saw him. I just saw him play in Miami. Man. I sure hope you guys do Gear Fest again. Yeah, I do too. Just because in the proper it, form. Yeah, like the amount of people that that talk about it with fondness, and mm -hmm. and also do it again, please, is you know. It was fun. It yeah. was a lot of fun, but like you know, like, like we were saying, it, if it, if it gets overcrowded, that could be a problem. Yeah, but. I think the I think the main concern here would be, especially after a two year. Lol, because I think the last one, you know, I was talking to Mark about this um, earlier today when we did a test of this um, setup was, um, I think the last one over the two days was nearly 18,000 people. Yeah. And that was pretty much near the cap. Yeah, it was it was crowded. Yeah. So it's if, if it goes to 25 or 30, there's going to be a big problem. Yeah, and that's right. kind of a concern, you know, obviously. Yeah. Um. Jerry C. Hey, Nick. Greetings from Muncie. Really love the Reaper guitar work, brother. Totally kicked ass. Oh, well, thank you. Muncie's not that far from here. Oh, that's cool. Uh, let's see. Uh, Zach Lee. Nick Bocott, your instructional content with Sweetwater for the song Crazy Train Main Riff. You use alternate picking. Why do you prefer to alternate pick instead of just down pick? Um, the answer is I don't, but th that was a beginner lesson. So I wasn't going to say, yeah, play this at speed using downstrokes only. That that might have – there's that <laughs> fine line between clever and stupid, and sometimes I cross it the right way, sometimes I cross it the wrong. Um, when I play Crazy Train Live, I normally do it downstrokes only, but that's it's that's getting up there. It's not Master of Puppets, but, you know, like the instructional stuff I do is is for sort of, ent you know, sort of intermediate – and behind you know and you know beginner to intermediate so right i don't want to put people off if you can down pick it it sounds great although alternate picking like single single notes if you've got a good upstroke i had the conversation with uh, richie faulkner about it there are certain things where you need the downstroke like on master of puppets with the chords but if you look at someone like a dime bag daryl his upstroke was incredibly powerful in fact it was a big part of his playing technique and the same is true of megadeth i saw something recently with kiko and um rick beato and he was talking about the fact that yeah it's not all down picks sometimes alternate picking is preferred because of the attack you can get and also the cadence mm. it's not just da -da 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 -da, but it gives you a, it gives you a groove sometimes yeah yeah mm -hmm. and sometimes you can just at least for me, even though like I, I, if I'm going for some like a knowing it's it's downstrokes and then I'll just just do it alternate picking, you know, and then I'll be like, oh shit, I need to do that downstroke again, <laughs> you know. Right. And the right. next time I'll be like, okay, downstrokes on that one, but the the one before it was you know alternate picking. You just kind of sometimes switch off, but um, 
We've got Sean Rona. Uh, says, Nick, can you please give a shit out? Sh- shit out. A <laughs> shout out. <laughs> Sorry. Can you give a shout out to my girlfriend, Tamaris? She's a big fan of Grim Reaper from Brazil. Tamaris. Tamaris, thank you. And uh, yeah, what can I say? But thank you. <laughs> Thanks, well, Tamaris. Thanks, hopefully, you'll feel be- hopefully, you'll feel better soon. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, Equinox, thank you, Nick. When you guys did the Marshall 1959 Randy Rhodes demo, I could not get the same tone, even with the same setup and power break. Did you guys use an overdrive or boost? Um, at, I, I'm assuming he's talking about at, at the launch, at the launch at NAM. No, it was I. I used EMGs. I I had EMGs in my roads, but I didn't. You know, like if like Randy's tone was a modified. It was actually a, just an MXR distortion plus. But I know from the guitar player in in Budgie, who was friends with John Tom. His name was John Thomas. He toured with Randy on that very first tour. He t- he informed me that when Randy's um, pedal board broke down, they tried to make a replacement for it, and his the MXR distortion off the shelf didn't sound like the one in his unit, so they took it apart, and it was it had been um, it had been set in epoxy resin for some reason. So who knows if it was modified or not? But yeah, Randy's tone was an MXR distortion plus on a lot of time, plus the graphic EQ, if memory serves me correctly, yeah, ten band MXR graphic. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. yeah. And cabinets with Altec speakers. Yeah, ex- well said that, man. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of people overlook the importance of a speaker. It's like that's where that's where the rubber meets the road. You know, that that's the end of the chain. Yeah. And that's, and it's a big difference. Oh, it's <laughs> a huge difference. What What is that? What are those? I've never played through those speakers. What do they do? Are they, are they like very bright, tend to be bright or? I I've never played through them. I just know, but the reason people can't, I was, I would say that the reason people can't duplicate Randy's sound is number one, the only person who really could was him. But yeah, you to have to like to not have those speakers would be, would make it even harder. I'm sure he would sound different through say vintage thirties or a greenback than he would through those speakers. So. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. That's cool. Um, let's see. Let's make sure I get to any other questions. Um, oh, here we go. Dave, any recommendations on where to get my Celestia blackbacks reconed? Preferably in Detroit area. I don't have any recommendation for any recone people anymore. Um, uh, that's a good question. I know there's some people that do it in Detroit. There might be someone at Berkeley Music that does speaker reconing. You might want to try to check with Bruce Eggnator. He might know someone in Detroit that does it. Hmm. I think I think someone at Berkeley Music does it. I mean, you might want to check with a couple other stores around and stuff. Uh, you know, they might know. I'm sure. I'm sure there is someone there. I mean, you'd be reconing it with a, a Celestian, uh, you know, twenty-five watt kit. That's right. That, yeah. Can't get yeah. Yeah, it's better than better than nothing, though. Yes, yep. better yep. than throwing them away. Um, so let me ask you a question, because uh, Dave 
I mean, clearly you can speak to this as, as a manufacturer, a brand. Um, how is it with Sweetwater, you know, and their relationship with Friedman and, and Nick, how, how do you, like, what's your perception of how Sweetwater works with different brands and, and things? Um, I guess well, I'll let Dave answer first. Well, it, well, you know, uh, well, first of all, like Nick said, it's like, uh, people are educated there. I mean, you know, you know, the sales, the salespeople go through a, a, a program, uh, and not all of them make it. <laughs> no. So it's, a and, uh, you know, um, they tend to have some technical background or training, at least, at least how to troubleshoot some things and things like that with some of their customers. They also generally know something about the product or they try to at least. Um, but you know, it's really the customer service, you know, it's, 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 you can get a hold of your, your sales rep. And if you have a problem with something, they take care of it right away. They swap an item for you if it's defective or something. And it's just a real, you know, full fledged service. And, you know, it's mostly free shipping and most stuff uh, maybe not everything. And, uh, uh, you know, they carry just like everything pretty much, you know, and you can get it really fast. And, yep. uh, you know, it's just like, a, it doesn't exist. I mean, it's, it's packed properly when it comes. It comes in the original box. Uh, you know, uh, often other large retailers might toss an amp in a box with a little bit of paper and hope it makes it there. Mm. Um, <laughs> I've seen that many times. It's a little disturbing, actually. You know, you're never going to get that stuff from Sweetwater. It's just going to be pure business and, and it's going to be great, you know? Yeah. What about working with them as a manufacturer, though? Like, you know, well, that's what I, I'm sort of talking about. I mean, that that they working with them as a manufacturer, well, they well, they support your product. They they you know, they do videos and, and different things like that. But but the thing is, is they're they're on the first line giving giving customer service to the customers, you know. Right, right, right. right. So, the, yeah, I, I yeah. See what you're saying. Yeah, you know? they're answering questions. They're telling people about. Yeah. You know the product on the phone every day. Yeah, sure, they're trying. Yeah. Well, yeah, sure, they're gonna. You know, they're smart about it. I mean, like you know, if you're a salesman and you know your clients, and you know you have a relationship that you've created with certain clients, you know, you know that hey, Joe, whoever, uh, you know, he buys a lot of high end amps, and he generally really loves them, and and you know you know, to call him and go, Hey, you know, these, this new thing's coming out and you might want to think about it. You mm -hmm. know, you just know if you're a good salesman and the ones that are good at Sweetwater do quite well and they juggle a lot of plates at one time and, and, and they, and they do things like that. They know their clientele and, yeah. and they can, they can really target. And also, I mean, Sweetwater also has a crazy amount of information that they've accumulated over time sales, you know, histories, who, who's buying what and what category, what stuff is selling, what stuff isn't selling, you know, it, it's a massive, like, it's a, you know, the, the tracking of, of stuff there is crazy. Yeah. To, to jump in on what Dave said, one of the cool things like Sweetwater, there's a, like I actually asked for a job here. 
I didn't apply for a job. I asked, could you create a spot for me? And Chuck Sirac asked me why I was asking that. And I said, well, you should know it's five words. And he went, what's that? I said, it's your company of credo. Always do the right thing. And that's from the top down. And one of the reasons I like working here so much, well, I enjoy working here, is is there's the 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 there's a positive attitude. People are genuinely happy to work here, but they realize that the that that everything that we do is dependent on customer satisfaction. And to that end, not only do we try and know what we're talking about to the nth degree, but I've I've often turned people onto the you know, I'll have artists call me up and I'll, I'll set them up with an, with with someone and they'll come up and say, hey, thank you. By the way, they actually talked me down to a lesser, to something that didn't cost as much because when I told them what I was going to use it for, they said, well, you can get this, but if you're not going to use A, B, C, D, and E of this particular product, be it software or whatever, this will do that response because that's not your normal sales person mo but you know sweetwater smart enough to realize that if you do the right thing and create a, a relationship of trust and get to know your your customer you'll actually have a, a customer for life as to someone that you've went yeah i think you should get this upsell them to something and then have them be pissed off for three or four years afterwards because they bought something that was above what they needed and the sales guy didn't tell them that and i i know there are certain retailers out there that do that all the time and i can't and i understand it from a commission point of view but in terms of a relationship point of view that's sort of that's counterproductive in my opinion like you want to create the great thing about what we do is people are obsessed with tone it's it's probably the healthiest addiction out there and guitar players have it worse than i think anybody else on the planet and so if we put them right if we do right by them we will have a good chance of having a customer just not for one or two sales, but from 10 years from now, <clears> playing, they will be with us. And that's why, you know, companies like Marshall Friedman, Fender, Gibson will always be around because people are looking for stuff that's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Sweetwater is just, you know, really a, a fantastically run company. Uh, it just seems like a well-oiled machine on almost every aspect, you know, from the sales department to the shipping department, everything is just like, you know, really, really, really good. And like you said, you know, you talk to somebody on the phone, they'll give you good advice. They'll tell you what you need, what you don't need. So it's really, it's a great, great establishment. Um, we we actually have a, sorry, I didn't mean to step on you. Uh, like we actually have, a, a department which which will answer any consumer problem because it's really hard you know by human beings answer it not some please tell us what your problem is and we will try and guide you know 20 minutes later you still haven't spoke to a human being i hate those companies that's that's the customer <laughs> disservice in my opinion but we actually have people whose, whose full-time job it is to answer the phone and help people because they can't get it for a lot of the time from the manufacturer and that's that's part of the always do the right thing culture. And that's a huge selling feature because I mean, you know, not many other places offer that type of service. Um, I remember when I bought, I bought the, uh, the helix, uh, effects, the right. HX effects. 
Um, and I was having, I, I forget, there was some, some problem that I was having. And I called them up and they got me on the phone and they were uh, like giving me, you know, technical support for the HX stomp or the HX effects. And like, you know, I could have waited on the phone for hours if I actually had called Helix, right? Or line six. Right. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, no, it was, it was great. It was just great service. Great, really great. And great people. Just like you said, they're passionate about what they do. They're really nice. Um, and, and just happy to talk to you. Um, it's, yeah, it's funny. A great story that, I mean, Richie Faulkner, a lovely, lovely guy, you know, the Judas Priest guitar player. Yeah. I was, I was here one time doing a Marshall thing and he was doing a, um, he was doing a masterclass in the studio with a vocalist and um, they sort of said, Hey, like, why don't you go and say, Hey to Rich and I end up getting involved with, with, with the masterclass, which was a lot of fun, but we had, we had lunch together and I'll never forget this. Richie said to me, he said, he said, Nick, you don't work for Sweetwater. See, he said, so I'm going to ask you a question because I know you'll give me a straight answer. I said, sure. What is it? He goes, are they putting drugs in the coffee here? I said, why did you ask that? He said, he goes, he goes, the people who work here are, are too damned happy. You just don't see that anymore. <laughs> and that's the uh, that's part of the Raya like coming here because everyone's actually they have a spring in their step, yada yada. And one of my favorite quotes for us from I was talking to the to the uh, head of HR one day, and he was on his way to a, like a one of these national HR um, like seminars or whatever, and he's we were talking about. It, he said, you know, he goes. There's one question that you always get get asked as a as a human resources person. He goes, and when they ask me, no one likes my answer. I said, okay, what's the question? And he said, the question is, how do you deal with difficult employees? I said, okay, so what's the answer? He goes, it's really simple. I don't hire them. <laughs> so you know, there's a vet, like you know, as, as Dave said earlier, there's a vetting process. There's a Sweetwater University, and a lot of people don't make it as far as that, but then you've got to go through 13 weeks and pass at the end. It's like getting a degree because they don't want you on the phone until you know hopefully more than the person calling you up. Mm -hmm. Unless, of course, that person might be Dave Friedman, in which case you won't. But <laughs> like, for the most part, and that's you know that's one of the things, like to me, God, I've become a Sweetwater spokesman, but the like to me, a brand is a promise. Like Friedman Amps has a promise, great tone. And the day that promise is broken, it's done. Mm. Which is why I think, you know, I remember my, my dad, may he rest in peace, used to love going to Home Depot. This is like 30 years ago because every aisle had someone like him who was an expert. And he would just go in and he'd bullshit with people about plumbing. He would find problems with my house just so he can go and talk to people at, at Home Depot. Then Home Depot realized that they were paying these people too much money and they got idiots who don't know the difference between a C-bend and a, a whatever, and they broke their promise. And uh, the one thing I like about Sweetwater is they're not, they're in, their intention is to never break the promise, which is customer service. Yeah, yeah. So, so how, how if, if anything, has it changed since uh, the sale no, oh, yeah, which is, I, I figured that question would come up. The, well, the thing is, the great thing is, like, you know, Chuck, Chuck is Chuck is still on the board of directors, and the gentleman who took over, you know, who took his seat, um, 
John Hopkins is is one of the coolest. He's he's been with Chuck forever, and they basically think the same. So the like the creed the credo remains intact. It's still always do the right thing. So I, to be honest with you, I haven't noticed anything apart from the fact I don't see Chuck any anything like as often, which is a shame because I really like the guy because I enjoy his passion. Mm-hmm. But John has that same passion. Like right. like John John's into music. You know, John's wife is an extremely talented um, keyboard player and also a teacher and. He has that, you know. That's that's part of his DNA. That so he was, he was with he was one of the first few people to be with 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 Chuck. So you know he's 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 taking the bat on and and he's running with it, and you know Chuck's still at his shoulder. So I haven't noticed a darn thing. That's good. Yeah, it's, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I haven't I haven't noticed a change no. in service or anything. By the way, I know that sometimes when um. We talk about Sweetwater or we're promoting Sweetwater. Um, there's always going to be folks who are like, what about, you know, the small shops, support the small shops. And I, I will say support your local shops too. You know? Oh yeah. I'm a total, if, if, if you've got a local store that, that is giving you the service you want, God bless them. Keep them going. I've got, I've got great friends who work with, with, with local stores and it's like, I, I, I'm convinced that a great local store, because Sweetwater don't, Sweetwater is not cheaper than anybody else at all. So it's an even playing on, it's an even playing field on that regard. So like two day shipping, if you've got a local guy, it's no day shipping, go pick right. it up. And if the guy will look after you or the, if the he or she looks, will look after you, God bless them. And, you know, I've always maintained that, you know, like a great deli will never go out of business, but a crappy one will. And the reason a lot of small music stores have gone under, unfortunately, is because the business acumen of the folk running them. And I've, I'm talking about friends of mine, too. But mm-hmm. oh, the band didn't work. I'm going to open a music store. But they can't do books. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, no, no, you have to know how to run a business. I mean, yeah, clearly. you have to have a business acumen. And also look after your consumer. It's not. It's. It's not a glamorous gig. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's. It's, it's same as running a studio or starting that company. You. You. It's. You. If you don't do it right, you're. 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 You're dead in the water after. After a year or so. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. So yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I. I support local shops as well, but love Sweetwater because of the great service and, and the selection and just you know. And of course, they are great sponsors of our show. So uh, let's see. I, I mean, I use I, I actually use Sweetwater to buy some things sometimes for rigs and stuff that I have to acquire for people. Cool. And uh, you know, it, it's so simple for me because I I literally just email Robert Williams. I need this, 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 and this. And and as long as they're all in stock, well, I already checked they're in stock. Right, right. And, and, and pretty much, uh, you know, please ship to the normal address. Yeah. About five minutes later, you see the whole invoice done, charged, and it's already in process of shipping. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. I just write. I write my guy Randy. Send him an email. I'm like, it was like, but the even tied H nine H ninety. Right. Even before it came out, I said. Randy, you know me. I need this. 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> please, please put one aside for me. And uh, it was great. Yeah, like, like, way, you know, one, of the, one of the things I love about Sweetwater too is, is like we have a, a lot of artist clientele. And the reason they come here and they is is because of this, uh, because they need someone they can rely on, especially mm -hmm. if you if, if like if you're on the road. Yeah. There can't be any. Sorry. Sorry. We missed the hotel. Yeah, no, no, that's no. what it comes down to. It's a moving target. Yeah, and if you miss that target, it's a frigging nightmare, you know. Because I'm not saying that 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 UPS and FedEx. But have have you ever had UPS or FedEx try and follow follow a moving target? Oh, it's impossible. It doesn't happen. I'm sorry. Yeah, you, you do you 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 do your do when you're shipping something to someone on the road. You do your due diligence and to make sure you have it. I always try to make sure it's there the day before. Right. Because it just in case. And then if they're off a day or it got delayed a day, it'll be delivered on the day it actually needs to be there. But you, you have to, yeah, you have to be very careful of that. Yeah. And you've also got to be, you know, and you've also got to apply due diligence. And I know this from own personal experience. If, if you're shipping to a hotel the day before someone arrives there, you've got to have the common sense to call the hotel and say, Hey, this is coming for this person, but they might not be checking in under this name. So please hold it. Yeah. Like making sure it's to a tour manager as opposed to Saul Hudson, for example, because he's right. Saul Hudson will not be checking into that hotel. Les yeah. is more might, but not Saul Hudson. So yeah, like you've got to do the, you've got to do once again, it's, it's doing the right thing. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Didn't you have uh it's when you were, you were bringing up Richie Faulkner, Dave, didn't, didn't you, uh, have an amp that just like made it like just at the very last minute with Richie when you sent it to him when he was, I forget. No, 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 no. Richie has a bunch of my amps though. I know. I, I, I thought there was something no, with shipping or something. No, was like... no, that was with Jake. Oh, was it with Jake? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It got it somehow when they shipped it, it, they missed the, the driver that took it from our shop to FedEx just missed the window of the pickup mm. at FedEx, like by a hair. And then, you know, then it was supposed to arrive there on a Saturday and it didn't arrive there till a Monday or something. Oh, that's right. I remember that. It was just arrive on a Friday. <laughs> and because of that, it didn't arrive till Monday and they had already rehearsed and literally they just, their very last rehearsal, he plugged it in and he's like, Oh shit, I'm taking this. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good endorsement, right? This there. is it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd keep it this so, one nice. Um yeah. by the way, I, I mentioned uh Richie Faulkner. Did you guys happen to see the HBO uh Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? No. No, I haven't seen it yet. Oh. It was cool. It was uh Judas Priest, you know, got in. Yeah. So when they performed, it was cool to see uh KK on the same Glenn, stage. Right? And Glenn was there too. And Glenn was there and you know and Richie was there. They were all playing. Um sounded good. They they did good. And at the very end it was really it was surreal to watch uh Rob Halford up on stage with Dolly Parton singing jo Jolene. I'm like Rob Halford is like do doing a duet with Dolly Parton on Jolene. I'm like this is what the fuck this am is I watching? Weird as it gets. Yeah, this is as weird as it gets. Yeah, right, exactly. right. but you know the the thing that impresses. I, I I went to see them about two weeks before, like the the Rock and Roll Hall of Shame of Hall of Fame thing, and um, 
it's all a shame. I was gonna say the Freudian slip there. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what they've got, you know, that Mr. Halford's in his 70s and he had a head cold when I saw him. He's he still hits notes that people half his age can't hit. He's like a he's this freak of nature. He's almost like Glenn Hughes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, like, he can still sing great. He, yeah. still, he sings great, and he's just a really I got you know, I got to spend some quality time with his him, him afterwards. And he's just a thoroughly nice freaking human being. He doesn't have a his ego's not out of control. He just loves what he does. He's he's the metal god and he's thankful for what he does. It's like it's yeah. like there's no don't you know who I am? It's like, hey, this is the fact I'm still doing this is remarkable. I love it. Mm, and yeah. that that's what makes them such a great band. It's a such a shame about Glenn and the Parkinson thing because there's a huge talent. And once again, another another lovely man. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, they're still they, you know, still carrying the flame. Yeah, their last album. I can't, I'm looking forward to the next album, quite honestly, because oh, their uh, last album was great. Yeah, Firepower was fantastic. That album was just kick ass. Yeah, and they, you know, I, I love the fact that they got like like they got the uh, defenders of the faith. Faith, uh, what's it? Tom Allman and and Andy Sneap did the production. Mm. Yeah. And now, of course, Andy's playing in the band as well. So right, right. Although he almost didn't. Like he's he stepped away, he stepped aside and said he wasn't gonna they were gonna tour with just Richie. And then for some reason he stepped back in and now you know they were they're yeah, doing it again. I couldn't imagine like as as good as Richie Faulkner is, a band like Judas Priest have to have two guitar players. They gotta have two guitar players. Yeah. yeah like exactly. no, you can't do that stuff with a harmonizer. You know, it's not like agreed. It wouldn't sound it would yeah, it would be it would weird. Be an electric guy wouldn't be the same. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of the stuff is there are some subtle there are some subtle chord inversions and whatnot that you need two guitar players for. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's just so cool when you have two guitar players like Judas oh, Priest. There's yeah. such a wall of sound. Yeah. Um, Modern Vintage, uh, Nick and Dave, is there a downside to little to no sag for more gainy amps like Wizards versus more sag like Marshall? Pros and cons for both designs. Thanks, Modern Vintage. The pros and cons. Uh, the thing about the thing that I love about guitar, be it tone or the way a guitar plays, or your your likes and dislikes with regards amps or pedals, is it's a very very personal thing. So what works for what works for your best friend might not work for you, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So I know people who who can get amazing sounds out of like very stiff amps and vice versa out of the like sagging. It depends what your, it depends what your, it, it depends what your end result is and how hard you're pushing them. Cause I'm sure Dave will agree with me that there are certain amps that sag, but you've got to push them really hard to get them to the level of sag. Hmm. Like a lot of people go, I'm not using that amp because it sags, but it's like, you're never going to play it loud enough to make it do that. Yeah, I mean, like even 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 you know any old any old Marshall isn't sagging until you're getting it up quite a lot in volume. Yeah, you've got there, to be- there's almost no there's almost no um, actual voltage sag. Yeah, um, you know, uh, yeah, a, a super lead amp on ten, you know, yes, that's that's definitely sagging. Oh yeah, yeah, um, in a good way. Uh, yeah, you know, wizard. I mean, there there's Sometimes you can – how do I want to say it? Sometimes you can uh, think something's saggy when in reality it's just an amp that has a lot more bass in the front end. 
right and isn't is leaned out and tight uh so the interesting thing that I've always shot for is a, a tight sounding amp that has a little give and feel to it. Yeah. Because yes. especially at lower volumes, it, it has, it, it has its benefits, you know? No, absolutely. And, and, and to me, the, and to me, the, like a player's relationship with an amp should be symbiotic. Yeah. As much as if, is if it, it's not just what it's. I've, there are certain amps out there that, I, that I've heard people play. They go, God, I want to play that, and then you plug into it, and it's too stiff. There's no give, and while it works for that guy, it doesn't work for me. Once again, it's just a personal thing, yeah. like you know, my my personal taste or lack thereof. Like if an amp feels right to me, then I'll play better than I will, would play to an amp through an amp that doesn't feel right. Sure, and that's. That's whole. That's the whole. That's part of the whole tone chasing thing. That that yeah. we're all that we're all stuck with. Yeah, that's and that's the intangible. Really, it's an intangible because it's up to the individual person and how they feel playing it, right? Yeah, um, and it's also down to like how that person plays. Like, how hard are they hitting the strings? How hard are they picking? Mm -hmm. Right. There are certain players who can make who. Who can get things out of an amplifier because of the way they because of how how hard they pick and vice versa? Like you know, one of the I remember I had the had the great pleasure of spending several hours with Billy Gibbons after he played Fort Wayne recently, and he's tuned down to E flat and he's using seven gauge strings for the love of God, mm -hmm. and he sounds freaking huge. But Tony Omi's been doing that for decades too because of his plastic fingers. And using banjo strings before light strings existed, and there's something that you know. I was I was from the, I was always of the the school that the higher the action and the heavier the strings, the better the sound. And I've been taught that that's not correct by other people who were doing the exact opposite of that and who sound amazing. Yeah. And then you'll get someone like Gary Moore, may he rest in peace, that would use the heaviest goddamn string, and Malcolm Young for that matter. Who would beat the crap out of the guitar and play with a high action and heavy strings, and it sounded amazing because some people like to fight the guitar. Right, I, I do to a degree too. I don't like the action being too low because I I hit hard and I like to I like to have some resistance. Mm -hmm. I like to be fighting it. If I wasn't going to solo, if it was just all chord and rhythm work, I would use heavier gauge strings. Right, but. It's when it comes to you know doing the so any solo work that's where I, I, I my wrists are too weak so I need to use at least nines um, or maximum nines really I don't like I don't like to go up to tens but yeah, yeah I, I I agree with you um, it's it's interesting so everybody has their own thing right so um, but like you know Dave you were saying and some other shows about Ed, Edward would play. And he had slightly higher action, but then as he got older, the action got lower and lower. Yeah, this is true. Uh, um, you know, it's it's all a. Oh, well, I made an interesting observation when I was playing one of uh, some of the earlier uh, Wolfgang guitars uh, had small frets. Right. Um, yes, they did. And uh, and you know, it kind of dawned on me one day. Here's a guy that's using nine gauge strings tuned to E flat. Yep. And 
kind of dawned on me one day. He goes, this makes a lot of sense why it's small frets. Because you're not going to bend it out of tune. You're not going to, you know, grip it too hard and bend it differently. It, it makes a lot of sense, it, you know, kind of. You know, if you put 6100s on it with nines at E flat, I mean, if you're a good player, you won't bend it out of tune. But, you know, you, you could potentially easily bend it out of tune. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. There was the people that someone was talking about the fact that it's really hard to play along with Iron Man, the original Iron Man recording by Black Sabbath. And on, a, on an SG, like if you press too hard, you can, you can make a considerable, you can, in, you can, you can go sharp. Right. Well, even on an SG, if you just if you just pull on the neck a little bit too hard, yeah, you can pull it back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. And yeah. and then of course you like like you get the scallop neck guys, you know, like the Ingves and the Black, you know, Blackmore had his neck scallop from twelve up, I believe, if memory serves me correctly. And you you would never know because of their their touch, their touch and their ears, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing to really be able to. You know, watching Malmsteen doing all of that with on scallop frets is pretty crazy. Yeah, and then and and then you get someone like Jeff Beck, and the stuff he does with like an unlocked tremolo system or whammy system is un is is not human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his ear is crazy, right? Yeah, un- unbelievable. He's 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 one of those guys where you watch him, and I've I've gone to watch Jeff and walked away going, I have no clue how he did that. Like sometimes mm-hmm. I can you can go okay yeah, that's twenty hours of practice a day for twenty years. But pitch like that? No, you I don't. That's something else. That's not. That's not. That's not. Just, that's not muscle memory. That's some sort of. That's yeah. some, that's something supernatural in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, he, he he's. I haven't watched it in a while, but I love watching the Ronnie Scott. Oh, it's petrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just amazing. Uh, all right, we, we definitely have to get. Uh, I saw this. Uh, we have to get some dime bag stories from you, Nick. Um, uh, the the late great dime bag. Yeah, yeah. I had the. I first met. I first met Daryl in. I think it was eighty five. I can't remember if they opened for Grim Reaper or not, but he actually gave me the Projects in the Jungle cassette, and I still have the one he gave me. And then you fast forward like five years and he's now managed by concrete management who were my management. And um, we kind of became friends, but what solidified it was, um, and this shows you how long ago this was, this would have been 93 maybe. And this was before cell phones were really that common. So I was doing some Marshall thing. I was doing a Marshall thing in Florida, I think. And I, the reception at the hotel said, can you call a guy called Brad Talinsky, who was the editor of Guitar World? So I called up Brad from a payphone. Remember those things? You had to put quarters in and stuff. Yeah. And he said, hey, Nick, you know, there, I, I, I know you've worked with some, like, some up-and-coming guitar players. He goes, we've, we're trying, we've just got Eric Johnson and Kirk Hammett to do columns for us, six columns. And we want to get someone who's up-and-coming is there anyone you would like to suggest because we'd like to work you to work with him on it? And my response was immediately, and this was before he was Dimebag. I said, it's got to be Diamond Daryl. 
as the guy is. I, I'd done a guitar world lesson with him on that first tour they did with Suicidal Tendencies and Exodus, and the guy blew my doors off with his just his dexterity and his accuracy. And then, so long story short, that became a thing that ended up being a book in the end because after six months, his his column was so popular, as was Kirk Hammett's, that they both carried on. So I got to work. My job with with my job, if you can call it that, is it was just a, a privilege and an honor for me. Was I was basically and I was engineer. I was the engineer on his column. Does that make sense? I was mm -hmm. just. I was pressing record, so he so we discuss each column maybe three or four times. So it was like taking the best, just like doing three takes of a solo, then comping it. Mm. So we would do three or four discussions on it. Then I would take the parts I thought were, the, were most relevant and would fit into the six hundred words. Then I'd send it to him, and he would literally dot every I and cross every T because he had his own way of speaking. They, it was that they coined it dimebonics. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just a he was just a he was just he was such a such a nice human being um he was a wild man in a in a good way like you know guitar world would and i don't mind saying this because like i think they eventually sussed it out so they would so my job with him would involve three or four times a year we would get together either backstage on a tour bus in a hotel room or they'd fly me out to his place in arlington texas and we would do stuff like we would collate the next lot of stuff for the for the next column. And a lot of times when I went to Texas, he was like, "How long are you here for? Good. Tell me what you want to do." He'd write it down and said, "Okay, I'll FedEx you a video because we're going out." So I go out for an interview that never took place, and then he'd and people go, "How come you've got this so damned accurate?" It's like because Dime would send me videos going, "This is what I do." Hitch. He called me Hitchcock when I shaved my head. And he would just walk me through that. Like we actually, we actually put a couple of out, couple out called the lot, like the lost lessons. He would just sit there with the video tape and go, "This is what I'm doing here, 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 and here." Mm -hmm. And uh, good dime bag stories. There's there's hundreds of them. Um, you had to experience the man, if that's not too silly of a thing. Like he had a he had a gift of making you feel like you were the only person in the room. Like you could be in the a crowded backstage area, and when he talked to you, it was like everyone else disappeared because he gave you 110% focus. Mm -hmm. He was funny as hell, politically incorrect, um, drank a lot. You know, I would often joke that I drank enough with him to, like, kill several small countries. And I <laughs> yeah, there's the stories. I, I have several friends that uh, I remember uh, Mike Tempesta. Oh, I love Tempesta. Yeah, like we, we were talking. Who went, who, uh, whose band at the time uh, was on tour with Pantera? Yeah, Power Man 5. I was talking to Mike the other day, Power Man 5000. I have the disc on the wall. And, 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 he, and he, I remember, because I did his rigs and stuff then, and I remember him coming back from that tour, and he's like, oh, yep. I, think, I think I've lost <laughs> a few years of my life on that one. Yeah. We, <laughs> there was just so much drinking. <laughs> I remember, like, the, 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 after, like, the manager, like the tour managers, after all, they sussed it. They like whenever they came through New York on a press junket, Dal would always insist I was the last interview, which basically meant you're staying, you're coming out with me, and I'm going to obliterate you. <laughs> and there was yeah, a um, yeah. 
there was a fight and it was fun you it, it wasn't peer pressure you just got you just got sucked into you just went okay this is you you weren't being forced into anything it was done happily mm -hmm. i remember once once i went with him and there was a there was a famous um i think howard stern made it quite famous there was a there's a gentleman's club in new york called scores yeah mm -hmm. you know i think some i think some guy punched Claude Van Damme out there and became famous, but it was like it was the it was the High Flyers Gentlemen's Club, and I went there with you know after I did the last interview on one thing, and then eight hours later we're in this damn club, and <laughs> it's shot, 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 and I was so hammered I couldn't get up in time to to bath, so I threw up in my bag which had my cassette players in, <laughs> oh, and Daryl just goes, "Good shot." Same again, please. And so it continued. That was the that was the life. And I <laughs> I, I miss him dreadfully because he was a genuinely nice human being. Mm -hmm. I remember my my actually my favorite dime story of the many was if you knew Dime well, and I'm sure Mike probably told you this as well, Dave, is that if you knew Daryl well, he would call you at like four in the morning, not because he was just getting up, but because he was still up. In oh, fact, yeah. I'll tell you two stories. There's a there's a famous solo, "The End of Floods" on the Great Southern Trend Kill, like like his outro solo over the rain, okay, with the, with the police cord. I was actually working on the cover story for Guitar World, in, and I, I was very nocturnal, so I was working on it like four in the morning, and this was before digital records. So I got this piece of crap like answer machine on my landline phone. And the phone went, I just let it go to voicemail. And, you know, the voice would come through the phone because you were hearing it through the speakers on the, on the machine. And it was like one of those surreal moments where it's like, hold on a second, that's the voice I'm listening to on the cassette. And it was Daryl. He's like, Hitch, pick up the goddamn phone. So I pick it up, I go, what's up, brother? He goes, we're mastering the record. I recorded the end of this song, Floods. And I'd, I'd had a few too many cocktails and the guitar was slightly out of the intonation was out, so it's a bit sour on the upper end. Is there any way you can get me a Korg G3 and a Les Paul to Sterling Sound Studios in the morning? I said, well, can you get a runner to 48th Street? He went, yeah, of course we can. Yeah, it's Electra will do that. I said, well, I can't make any promises, but as soon as it's 7 o'clock, I'll call my buddy Steve Pisani, who works at, at Sam Ash at the time. Tell me what how you want the guitar tuned. Like Humbucker's Les Paul, he said, it's got to be Les Paul. Said, give me string gauges and tuning, and I'll see what he can do. And sure enough, Steve got it. I called Steve at seven. He went, yeah, for that, for dime bag, absolutely, I'll do it. He got the guitar set up, got the Korg G3, which I I got Daryl to like to endorse, and the, because I'd written some programs on it, and he actually recorded that outro at in the mastering studio. And apparently the electric guy was going, this is not the way we do things at Electra. He was like, tough shit. This is how we do things in Pantera. Had a couple of shots and the second take was the one that's now one of the revered things. But my favorite of all of those calls, and I've got a CD somewhere of the calls. And my wife would be like, you've got him friend Daryl again. So we let it go to voicemail. But there was one time he called up and he went, Hitch, the brothers met the brothers. And I went to my wife, I've got to take this call because I knew what it meant. It meant that Vinny and Dime had met Eddie and Alex, who mm. were their heroes. So he he told me the whole, it was like for, a great 40-minute conversation. He was like a little kid. 
he's going to do it with blah, blah 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 this 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 and i got to see it and, and this was at this was the time when the can you remember the the uh Charvel did the art collection mm. yeah. edition one he went hey because i got a question for you he said if he said if you could get one of those which one would you get i said well they don't make a lefty but if i could get one it would have to be the black and white one yeah. Because I can tell you exactly where I was when I heard that first record, especially Eruption. He, he said, well, for me, it's the same deal, but it's the black and yellow one. Because Van Halen 2 was his gateway to Edward. Mm. He said, you know what I did? Because I'm, I'm sure you know Matt Brock. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So he watched, you know, like Vinny and Dime were guests of, of, of Edward and Alex. And, you know, they, they watched from, from Matt Brock's, you know, Matt was... Well, Ed's right-hand guy and also his guitar tech at the time, so so they watched from the tech station. He said, you know what I did? He goes, I went to Matt and I said, look, Matt, I know they're sold out, but if a black and if a black and yellow one becomes available from the EVH art series, he said, I don't care what it costs. Could you please put me on the list? I don't want to usurp anybody. I don't want to be jump bumped in the list, but if one becomes available and it's and it's and it lines up with my name, I don't care if it's 50 grand. I'll, I'd love to get one. And he said, you know, Matt said, oh, I'll see what I can do. He said, I thought nothing more of it than backstage after the show. Apparently, Ed went, Daryl, come over here. He goes, yeah, what is it, Ed? He goes, I understand you will you would like a black and yellow art series. And he went, yeah, I, but I don't want to take one from someone who's already pre-ordered, but if one becomes available and there's no one ahead of me on the list, I'd love to get one. And Ed said, you can have one, but there's one condition. Well, there's two conditions. Number one, you're not paying for it. And number two, I stripe it for you personally. And I went, you're shitting me. And he was, no, he goes, Ed wants me to go to his house and he'll stripe it for me personally. And of course, a few months later, that was not possible because of what happened. So at, at Dime's funeral, Ed turned up with the original black and yellow one and put it in the coffin. Mm. Yeah. So it's actually buried with... I remember writing that story. It was called The Brothers Meet the Brothers. And then I sent it in. And then I actually called Brad Talinsky, the editor of Guitar World, and Nicole Sweat, going, I don't think we should run this. I didn't want to be responsible for some idiot pick, you know, God forbid, you know, grave robbing. He said, it's it's already out there. Yeah. So so we ran it. But yeah, that was, that was one of my, that, I'll never forget that. I'll mm. never forget that that particular conversation because it was, that's why he was so great in my humble opinion is that, he was the biggest fan on the planet. Right. He was a huge fan. So if he was, if like, if they were playing with Kiss, he would be at, he wouldn't watch from side stage. He'd be at the front with the kids. That was just Daryl. Yeah. Yeah. He'd probably have his face painted. Oh, no, he did. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, Scott C says, Nick, love. Love how you to play the uh wait, sorry, love the how to play series of vids on Sweetwater. Uh when are you going to do some Grim Reaper songs? When hell freezes it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually had a lot of people, especially unfortunately, uh, uh, Steve Grimm at the singer passed recently. So mm. I actually got to go out to uh got to, they flew me out to a festival in Germany that who that he was gonna have to headline the night before the show. And we, I got to play with his band. We played all. I'm probably going to do something, but I want to be reverent to Steve about it. And right now, it doesn't feel right. But a lot of people ask me, "How do you play See You in Hell?" And it's really hard because it's E D C B. But hey, 
<laughs> but but there is a wrinkle that that that, that very few people suss out, that, and it is something I stole from Thin Lizzy. Because hmm. you know, I'm the, the be an artful thief, they said, and I stole an idea from the. Well, I I found a way of playing the the intro chord to Jailbreak on one guitar, and then I used that in as many songs as I could, which was pretty much every goddamn song. <laughs> so, well, well, once you get the trick, why not, right? Yeah. Once you get it, you know that was what Jay Younger called it the called it the Reaper chord. Well, it was actually two chords, but yeah, but but you can do it with a with a bass player as well. So it's just making a minus seven out of a regular chord. But you could, if you're smart, you can do it. So yeah, one one of these days, when when I feel it's right, I will I will do so. But thanks for asking, I appreciate it. I'm still staggered that if someone had told me in 1983 that some song you and Steve wrote in like 20 minutes would be talked about for nearly 40 years later. I'd have probably driven you to rehab myself. <laughs> but, you know, they still, that was one of the great things about the, you know, it was, it was really good for Steve's, Steve's wife, Millie, but like we played this festival, was probably 3000 people watched this and most of them were born after those, after the, the band disbanded and they knew every damn word, which is, that's really humbling. But he was an exceptional singer. He was up there with with Mr. Halford and Mr. Dio, in my opinion. In fact, why he never got, why he didn't get the gig when uh, Bruce Dickinson left Iron Maiden, I'll never know. But hmm. it's all good. Yeah. Uh, Modern Vintage, thank you, uh, Dave. What is so special about Kerry Wright cabs? Are the tributes close? I've never heard of Kerry Wright cabs. Kerry Kerry Wright was a personal friend of mine um fortunately he passed away uh, not too long ago a heart yeah, attack sorry, sorry to hear that yeah sorry Gary was a wonderful guy that was a, a crazy craftsman you know like he he did a lot of vintage re restoration and retolexing of vintage amps and marshals and boxes and and like he had all the old uh, tolex and the old cloth and the the proper things to do it. Um, he uh, he did a bunch of work for Lenny Kravitz on his back lines, and he did stuff for Edward Van Halen, and did stuff for uh, some. I, I had him do some things for people. Kerry uh, made some cabinets, uh, you know, some different cabinets. He used to make some cabinets for Dumble, uh, so there was some like open back or round oval. Uh, ported back cabinets and stuff that he had done. Uh, he used to make four by twelves. What was I mean? What is so different, or what is it's? It's not that it's that different. It's just that he was a craftsman when he made it. So he he didn't use even tongue and groove. He did dowels. Really joints? Yeah, do, do, actually dowel jointed uh, woodwork. Uh, so that was a little different. Yeah, it is. And um, and he hated making those cabinets for people. <laughs> I bet he did. Because he, he did them all himself, you know. Right. And, he, and he hated making those cabs. And he, he just said, you know, he goes, you know what? I just keep raising the price and they just keep buying them. <laughs> you know, it, it's very expensive. Uh, they were, you know, it was like for an empty 4 by 12 I think at one point in time it was like, Eleven hundred or twelve hundred dollars, empty. Wow, empty. Yeah. 
Oh, it might have even gone up after that. I don't know what his and I I hadn't seen him for a few years when when he died, so I'm not sure what he was up to. The tribute cabs. So he was. I think what you're talking about with the tribute cabs is there. There's a, a woodworker guy. He was sharing a shop with a, another woodworking company, um, and and they were helping him make some of the cabinets and stuff. Um, and I think the tributes. I think maybe the the I think vintage vintage um, L.A. vintage gear in Los Angeles. I think bought the rights to the name, and I think that person is making stuff exclusively for them in the same fashion, same way. Right. So what what's that special? I mean. It's not necessarily that special. It was made like an old cab. It was it was made of you know Baltic birch wood and you know and 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 some of his designs were original designs with a certain kind of port or something that he did. So that is his own tuned thing that he did. So ah, uh, that's the best I can answer. <laughs> sounds like an artisan. Sounds like a craftsman. Yeah, yeah. which there are sadly that that seems to be. I I hope I'm wrong, but that seems to be a dying breed. And you and you also said here will Nam 2023 be a major industry event again? I don't know if Nam will ever again be what it once was. I, that's my thinking. It's it's kind of a, it was it's kind of it kind of became it was becoming before the pandemic an antiquated sort of uh, idea. You know, it yeah. used to be like all the dealers would fly out and go see the latest stuff. Well, you know, the internet's kind of taken that, you know, taken over that, you know, you see the latest stuff all the time immediately. Yep. Um, and, you know, and then it just becomes a, you know, a, a vet that people are just going to that are, that are not dealers and they're, it's not about sales. It's, and it costs all the manufacturers a huge amount of money. And that money could probably be better spent in uh, marketing or videos and things. No, I, I, I'm, so, on, I'm on your side on that, on that front. I mean, do, did I like it? Did I have fun? Sure. Um, but I don't, I don't think we're going to see it come back. Now, I think smaller shows could be very successful, you know, like if Sweetwater will ever do the, the actual show again, you know, I think that would be very successful and things like that. And some other guitar shows might might be successful. But, yeah, it's a different world now. Yeah, the yeah. world's changed. Like you said, you know, like the, the 20% to do 80% of your business – you know, speaking from the manufacturing side, this has been going on for, you know, for God knows how long now. They've already made their orders prior to the NAM show. Yeah. And like you said, it was, it was it a great social event? I loved the NAM show. Sure, I did too. But it, it, it ceased to, and like once me showing my age, I remember when I first went to the NAM show as a manufacturer as opposed to a, like a demonstrator, the first one I went with Marshall as part of the team, there would be a meeting every night telling you how many hundreds of thousands of dollars of sales were made that day. Yeah. And then all of a sudden this thing called the internet happened and that stopped. Like yeah. people, like people don't buy at the show anymore. And uh, 
there were an increasing num number of artists going to the show. Yeah, right. We didn't, right. We didn't have a record label, but had a, a badge that said artist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I've got a Facebook page. Cool. Here, have an artist badge. What? <laughs> That's really cool, maybe. But I ended up, like, my last few years at Marshall, I had a, I actually had a card that didn't have my phone number or my email on it because – a lot of the artists didn't even have a booking agent. It's like, yeah, I've got a CD burner too. That doesn't make me a signed artist. Sorry. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Garage band and a CD burner. Hey, hey, and a Facebook page. Or back then, what was the MySpace or whatever it was called? Right. In right. fact, a, a friend of mine who works in the industry created a completely false band just to see how many followers he could get. And he got tens of thousands. And the band didn't. <laughs> It's freaking comical. Oh, my God. Vaporware, but hey. <laughs> Rob's Tone Zone. Uh, Nick, see you in hell still rocks. What would Thank you say you. is the coolest gig you've ever played? The coolest gig I've ever played? The the answer this at this that the sound at the risk of being flippant, pretty much every gig ever I there's something special about playing. Mm -hmm. But if you ask, the one that sticks in my mind would probably be that we were we were asked to play the Texas Jam in 1985, which was at the Cotton Bowl. Mm -hmm. And it was, let's see, it was a band called Victory, then it was us, then it was an unknown act called Bon Jovi. Don't know what happened to them. Mm. <laughs> then, there was, then there was this dude called Ted Nugent, and mm. then I think it then it was Night Ranger and Deep Purple. Wow, with, with Blackmore. But anyway, long story short, so we got there the day before, and our management were like, "I'm like, I want to be at the venue at like eight in the morning." He goes, "No," he goes, "You're going to freak out." He goes, "The biggest show you've played is like seven thousand people. You'll play to around seventy thousand people if you're there too long. I don't want you second guessing yourself." So they had us run late. Well, not run late, but they want us to arrive half an hour before we went on. Hmm. So that was the plan. It, it bothered me greatly. They had the, the record label sent a limo out. We're driving through that. And I'm sure Dave knows. I'm, I'm sure you've been to the um, to the Dallas Guitar Show many times. It was Actually, I haven't ever. Oh, you haven't? Okay. So there's some pretty, for want of a better, for want of the technical word, shitty neighborhoods right around the area. Hmm. And this freaking so this limo driver gets us lost in this really bad area. And you can kind of the it's it's on the radio that Victory's got three songs, and I'm just going, This is this is the biggest piece of bullshit ever. And then we pass a police station and my manager says, Hold on a set, I'm gonna ask for directions. So he gets out of the car and I just went, Sorry guys, I have to do this. I ran in after him and he was talking to this uh, Texas sheriff behind the desk. I said, Look. I hate to interrupt. I said, my name is Nick. I'm from this small town in England. We put this band together 10 years ago. This is the biggest moment of my life, and we're in severe danger of missing it because we've got 15 minutes to get there, get changed, and get on the stage. Our gear's there already. Forget directions. Can you can you take us there? And the, it was like something out of the um, the Dukes of Hazard. The guy's like, hell yeah, we'll give you an escort. So we actually got a police escort to the, uh, to the show. <laughs> And the cop loved it. It's siren on. <laughs> Broke all the speed limits. We just followed him. And we literally got there in time to change and get on stage. 
And if I hadn't have done that, we might have missed that show. And those, they they won't even give you two minutes to be late. If you're not if you're not there, you're not you're done. Wow. And then, and then to then to add to it, someone got married on stage right after we played "See You in Hell." So and that made the Dallas papers the next day. So yeah, that's probably my most memorable gig, if truth be told. Ah, that's cool. That's a good story. That's a good one. Uh, is the 1987X a real, good, real or good plexi circuit, Dave? Well, it's a real plexi circuit. Uh, whether it's the, uh, it's kind of been had some different specs over the years. What it is, I mean, it's it's close to being just perfect, but uh, a couple little tweaks and it would be perfect. <laughs> At least that's my opinion. Uh, very very well put sir very well put. i mean it it, it, it is uh, one version of a plexi yeah. circuit you know but there's many versions so it may be not my ultimate version yeah one of the just just a step in there too is that there was a guy i don't know if he's still at marshall but there was a guy called phil wells because what a lot of people don't get is the fact that in the early days of marshall in fact the early days of any amp company around that time number one they were making amps on a catch-as can as catch can basis, Jim would call it. So if the parts weren't available, you got the next closest thing. And then you add that to the fact that Jim would always list, you know, if, if Hendrix wanted an amp with more treble and less of this or whatever, they would tweak it accordingly and just put it in. So they were experimenting with the circuit. And then you had component tolerances as well. Mm -hmm. And then transformers. So you, you could end up with three or four amps made in the same on the same day that were different because they might have changed the circuit, they might have tweaked the circuit, and or the component tolerances were slightly different. And you add all that up, and I'm sure Dave will testify to this, it doesn't take much to make an amp sound completely different, especially if you've got a plus or minus 15% tolerance on certain key components. Mm -hmm. yep. yep. I remember doing the, like we did the, uh, like the Kerry King 2203, that we actually Santiago worked on that, is that, Kerry was like Kerry was was very much like Zach Wilde is that is that he would find he would find any twenty two or three that came up in the in the recycler in L A he just buy it mm. if Zach didn't beat him to the punch so he had this huge collection of Marshalls and there was one he called like he actually, he 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 figured like he called this one the beast and everyone figured it was modified so when we when I when I got him to uh, agree to let us borrow it to see if we could make a um, like an exact replica as a, as a limited edition signature model, it went back to Marshall and it was actually a stock circuit, but the component tolerances were so out of whack, it sounded very different to pretty much everything else around it. Mm. And that's a commonplace story. Yeah. From yeah. my experience. And there was there was a guy at Marshall who was actually doc trying to document all of the changes over the years due to old amps coming in for service. I don't know how far that's got, but I'm sure you've seen Doyle's book, and he went into great detail on the the number of plexi fluctuations, and it's all oh, yeah. and the 87X is part of that. Yeah. Uh, Dave, will your plexi have a power soak built in? Yeah. Well, you'll have to wait and see. I'm looking forward to that, by the way. <laughs> With or without a power soak? Uh, let's see. Dave, for pedal board connections, what specific Mogami model cable to use as there is more than one that and that you recommend? Uh, I use 2314, like a thinner, a very thin version. 
14. I think that's it. 24, 13. One of those two. <laughs> 23, 14, I think. Okay. What is the reason you? What is the reason you go thinner? By the way, Dave, is it is it a tonal thing or no? Just the pedal board connections. It's just easier to work with. You hey. don't getting That's... between things, and and also, I use mostly square plugs these days, which are these uh, this plug that a guy from France came up with, uh, which is uh, it's perfectly fits that cable. So perfect, cool, yeah. Uh... Let's see. Why isn't this? Oh, Nick Bocott. Do you have a, a favorite Friedman amp? Um, that's a good one. I really like the pink. No, I really like the um, the pink tacos. Great, but the BE one hundred. That's that's just a that's it's a, a wonderful amp. It's a beast. Like you like you put that on the stage. If you're not very good, you probably don't want to use a BE one hundred because people will hear you. <laughs> you, might, you might get fucked. You'll sound great, but you, if you're, you know, it's a, it's a great sounding amp. But it will, it will find your like any really good amp. It will find, it will give you a unique, a unique place in the, um, in the sonic tapestry of your band, and people will hear you. Yeah, uh, I love the B, the BE one hundred. It feels right, and you can literally feel it as well without it being loud. It just it moves your internal organs in a desirable way. <laughs> in my humble opinion, I love that. and also, and the, the other one I've got to mention too is the is the JJ as well. Jesus Christ! Yeah, Jerry. What, a, what an hour. I remember going to. Uh, I remember I was doing a. Um, I was doing a the Volga display of power piece for gu Guitar World back in the day because that my my whole thing was I used to love the old guitar magazines. Because my, I didn't just want to know what people used. I wanted to know the order. Like, which yeah. is first? Is the wah, then the OD? I wanted to know from pick through speakers, the exact chain. And so that's why Volga Displayer of Power came to be. And at the time, I guess he was using prototypes that became um, that became the JJ. Because he, he, he got one of your amps that said angry on it, and the other one just said pissed. Yeah. But it was like so he got angry and pissed, and I so like I did the I did the rig rundown with him and his tech, and then I was with um, one of the Def Leppard techs, and we were listening to the sound check, and he turned to me and, and with a, with a, he said, "Are you hearing what I'm hearing?" I said, "If you're hearing one of the best guitar tones you've ever heard in your life, yes." And he went, "Yeah, that's what I'm hearing." <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And no, but that's just it's it's. It's just one, you know, I love, like, Jerry Cantrell is like, a, once again, and it, we were talking about Jakey, the, the, Jerry Cantrell's contribution to to rock or metal, whatever you want to call it, is freaking gargantuan. Sure. And it's it's not just his, his riffs, his musicality, but his tone, god damn. Yeah, his tone is fantastic. That man has tone for days, and the fact he's got his thing throughout. You know, in the, I've I've got a couple of my pupils who bought the mini JJ, freaking great little amp, man. Oh yeah, killer amp. Yep. Well, I know Dave's got to run. Um, you've got to you got to go to dinner, and uh, but Nick, I uh, want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, it's great to have you on, and you know just being a representative of, of course for Sweetwater who 
you know, we have an affiliate link, guys. If you want to purchase anything, uh, it is Black Friday actually still. Yep, still. Uh, yeah, so if you want to use our link for any Black Friday sales or anything like that, please let us know. Uh, well, you don't have to let us know. Just click the link. Um, and, uh, yeah, and just check out Sweetwater. They're, they're a great place. And if you're interested in working there, uh, you know, I guess hit them up and check out their – send them your resume. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, do that. Actually, i just like to quickly say for what it's for, for what my opinion is worth, which according to my wife is about zero, maybe negative, is I've just looked at my watch. The biggest compliment I can pay you two gentlemen is I've had so much fun doing this. I thought we were talking for like 20 minutes. It's like pretty much almost one, two hour. Hour, one hour, 44 minutes later. So oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm sorry that this might end up being your your swan song show because of the stupid guest. <laughs> I had a blast. Thank you so much. Oh, awesome, thank man. you. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. Tell the guys, the rest of the people, Tyler and Josh and everybody over at Sweetwater, we we say thank you I as well. Um, my computer is like acting strange for some reason. Um, okay. Well, anyway, uh, our, our next show... Let me see what do I have lined up here, and then I'll let Dave run here. Um, oh well, we don't have anybody scheduled just yet, so I, I'm going to be scheduling Dan uh, at Rev with Sean Tubbs. They're going to be coming on soon. I know uh, we're going to be having Mike Sullivan from Russian Circles, right, Dave? Yeah, you're going to be sending me the information. Um, Dave can get the guy he's having lunch, having dinner with. To, to we, we've had him we, we did have jake uh, that was oh, a very debaucherous show you'll, you'll, you'll have to check that one out check that one yeah. out it, it, it was really it was really well, it was a four-hour show and it was really good up until you know well you know last hour it, it, it slowly was careening down a hill <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to check it out scotch and and whatever else was in the room yeah, this that once again that fine line between clever and stupid. Sometimes yeah, exactly. Crossed. Although sounds... people tell me to this day, it's still their favorite show of all time. Well, I bet. Yeah, there's nothing like oh. you know. It's like probably it was probably very Derek and Clive, if you know. They, they like watching the train wreck. Yeah, yeah, and a great train wreck though. Yeah, no, no one died. So <laughs> no one died. I think I got a few years taken off my life that day. Though. <laughs> hey, it's worth. I remember talking to Lynch about it. He goes, "You know what? If this takes." You, they say this does takes this many hours. Once I'm 80, I don't want to live that long anyway. Anyway, so it's all, all right, good. 79 is okay. He was, he was doing the math. <laughs> well, everybody have a great weekend, and uh, we'll see you soon. I'll be putting on the social media stuff where, where our next show is. It'll probably be in like two weeks or so. Great all right. Have a good time. one. Great night. Thanks for having me. And um, until you I too. Yeah, thank you. Hang on while I, I, I say goodbye. Uh, I'm just going to hit the end of the broadcast and we'll say goodbye offline. Cool. All right. Thanks, everybody. Take care. See you.